Hi everyone. Welcome to the lost generation outside of the mainstream. My name is William Hooker. I am a musician, poet, and part of this generation of artists. My goal with this podcast, which is being broadcast on its own YouTube channel and my website, williamhooker.com, is to introduce you to many of the musical artists that are outside of the mainstream and have made important artistic contributions to our culture. I have also interviewed producers of the music and many fans and supporters of this work. My guests are sharing what makes this art form unique and significant. I hope these conversations will inspire you to listen to the music, which may change you and the way you view music, which again is outside of the mainstream. Today, I am interviewing drummer and band leader Barry Alstjol, who has spent a lot of his musical career living abroad. For the rest of the summer, we will be having one interview per month. We will resume our regular schedule of two interviews beginning in September 2019. This is The Lost Generation Outside of the Mainstream. This is a story that needs to be told. I'm excited, to say the least. Excited because of your enthusiasm and your spirit. Thank you. That's one thing I, I, I got to say. And um, I'm, I'm talking to Barry Astro. Um, why don't you tell these people in a few few sentences about yourself? And um, I was born in the Bronx in 1943, still a couple of years left for World War II. And uh, in a poor neighborhood, as a matter of fact, uh, I don't know how many years I'm older than William Parker, but we came from the same neighborhood, about 10 years apart, maybe older. And uh, uh, there was music in the house. Uh, I grew up with the radio in, in the 1940s, which was playing the crooners and bebop on the radio. Uh, through the 1950s, uh, all the music I listened to was either the popular music of the day, uh, which at that time was uh, rhythm and blues and, and jazz. And then, uh, 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 that's what I, I came up listening with the music. I wanted to be a musician since I'm two years old, as I know nothing else. And uh, mm -hmm. I'm first-generation American. My mm -hmm. parents are—one is from Poland, one is from Russia—and so there was always music in the house, mainly classical music. My sister was a uh, concert pianist, and uh, that was it. I grew up on the streets, trying to stay out of trouble playing music. <laughs> so let me ask you something about. Um, <clears throat> do you recall? At what point in your evolution that it hit you that you wanted to play this kind of music specifically, as opposed to 
the music that you know, was in your home or uh, around you, you know, the bebop, etc., etc. Because I know you as a as a musician that has definitely uh, been a force for um, stating free expression. Yes, but okay. Coming up, yeah. there was the only free expression that I knew about was jazz. Okay. Was I won't say traditional because then you think of Dixieland or something like that. Yes. But of, of the of the box, the bebop, the neo uh, uh, bop, the after bop, the uh, the uh, hard bop, the, all that was the only music that was around. Uh, as far as it being freed up is concerned, I see a continuum of how it got freed up. But when did it hit you, your soul specifically? To play free music? Yeah, to play, to play in when a I, different way. I didn't, I, I, it never did. It never did. It to this day, it never did. Oh, one day, one day I got a, I, I'm working as a janitor in a, in a recording studio. Uh -huh. And I got to talking to Paul Blay, who was in there doing a, a recording. A few weeks later, he calls me up to play a gig with him and Dave Eisenson. We opened up Slugs. It was a Sunday afternoon. Jerry Schultz, the owner of Slugs, was experimenting. And, I was and Paul Blaze said to me, do you want to play some standards, or do you want to play some music that I'm into? I was an arrogant kid. I said, play whatever you want. Are you older than him, or saying that I'm younger than him. You're younger than him. By how many years? By Paul Blaze and them? Yes. Uh, at least 10. I see. You were born what year? 43. Ah, okay. All right, so... I joined Paul Blay in 64. Yeah. So I was 21. Okay. And um, uh, this was at the, yeah, early 64, and uh, I, was, I said, play whatever you want. So they started to play free, and I just responded. And, I, and, and how I related to it a bit was, I used to practice to my sister, practicing classical music, but I wasn't keeping time. I was like playing with it, playing melodies, playing freely. So uh, when I started to play this way with Paul Blay, it was just very natural for me. I never listened to the music before. I mean, the, the, the closest I got to it when I was 16 or 17 was Ornette. And then Train. Uh, but by that time, I was already playing with Paul Blay, and there was five of us in New York that was playing free. And that was Sonny Murray, Milford Graves, Rashid, uh, um, oh man, Andrew, and myself. Andrew Cyril and myself, at that time. And uh, we were all involved in, uh, with the Jazz Composers Guild and the October Revolution in Jazz. The offices was over the Village Vanguard. There was a dance studio there mm -hmm. where, where we discussed the music, I mean, really discussed the music, talked about what would happen when you eliminate bar lines, when you, when you don't play rhythm in a certain way, and so on. It was all discussed and talked about. And then everyone who was part of the Jazz Composers Guild formed their own group. Uh, I wasn't the, a leader, I was working with Paul Blay, I was a gentleman with Paul Blay, so. But that got me involved with a lot of people. I played with Albert Eiler, I, play, I played with all of those cats. At that time, and uh, and then it just became uh, playing straight time. I always loved that, and I still love to do it, and I do do it. 
But that part of my career hasn't been publicized. I mean, I played in, with Hampton Hawes and Sonny Chris for nine months. I was in Art Pepper's band. I was in Lee Conus's band. I was in all kinds of bands playing straight ahead. My reputation was more open. Where my gigs were coming was more open. Uh, and plus, I felt more open. What can I say? I mean, there was, I mean, I remember uh, playing with Lee Conitz mm-hmm. and, and in my mind saying, okay, I'm going to push him to the, try to push him to the next place. Okay. You know, and I was doing that with, until they, you know, they would turn around or I would feel they were uncomfortable. Yeah. But I would try to push him out as much as possible. <laughs> And in a sense, that worked against me, too, so, I mean, career-wise. I hear you. I hear you. I hear you. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Now, there may be some people that um, you may know about. I may ask you another question a little, a little bit later. But um, do you know, do you know, um, the people I'm going to throw at you, just tell me if you know something about the music specifically, and if you do, just elaborate on it. Um, George Lewis. George Lewis. You mean George Lewis, not the old old George. George Lewis. I know George Lewis very well. He came to live with me as soon as he came out of Chicago. Muhal was living with me for a year and a half. And because Muhal was living with me, I was accepted, in a sense, by the Chicago Cats. And they they came, a lot of them came from Chicago. I had a very big place at the time. And they came and stayed with me for a while. So, I had no idea. Uh, uh, Steve Coleman, Pirelli, uh, 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 John Paul. Yeah, these cats came to stay uh-huh. right from Chicago. Wow. Well, so, well, yeah, so George, George Lewis. What can you tell me about his music? Uh, yeah. George Lewis is a genius. What can I say? I think, uh, I mean, uh, he's one of the greatest trombonists on the planet. He can play any style of music. I mean, his father. His father was, uh, I think, a postal worker, and his father was very into swing jazz and wouldn't accept George's music until he got the gig with Count Basie. George was in the section with Count Basie for a while. He took, uh, um, oh, whose place for a while? Uh, Curtis Fuller. Took Curtis Fuller's place. Well, what distinguishes him from Curtis Fuller? Musically. His concept. His concept. All right. Tell me George about Lewis's concept is, is off the planet. <laughs> he's uh, he's off the planet. I mean, his concept is uh, is uh, truly my concept of free music. My yes. concept of free music is the more vocabulary you have, the freer you are. The more vocabulary you have, the freer you are. The more musical vocabulary you have, the freer you are. If you're a, if you're a poet, you only can deal with twenty words. That's one thing. If you have a hundred words, you're freer in your expression. Same thing with music. George Lewis. This is beyond <laughs> to me beyond category as far as his knowledge of his vocabulary is concerned. Great. He goes beyond and goes into the electronic music scene. All right, yeah. All other thing. And then he's writing all these books, and he's, I mean, he's just, uh, and a very sweet guy. Oh, absolutely. All right, now. Oliver Lake. I, what about him? Tell me about his music. 
and what you perceive, what, what you perceive. Uh, Oliver, Oliver's, uh, we, we, we're playing together now, and it's really the first time I'm getting a chance to really see Oliver's thing, you know. Yes. Um, uh, which is very creative and very original and very fluid. Um, great sound, great feeling, um, very nice cat. Uh, but uh, uh, I'm still getting to know Oliver musically. Yeah. But, uh, but I mean, I know George since he's 18 or 19 is when we saw Oliver. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Oliver, yeah. I, I knew back then from the, from the St. Louis, cat, Louis Cats. I was really friendly with people like Philip Wilson and Bobo Shaw. All right, now, wait a second. See, now you're getting into it. Because, all right, we're talking about this whole branch of the tree. Okay. See, see Barry, that's why, obviously, you see you, you're doing it already. I don't even have to. Okay, well, if you want to do it that way. Yeah, no, yeah, you know what I mean. Okay, Chicago, Chicago had Steve McCall. That's all I know about from Chicago. Okay. Moyer came later. Okay. Uh, then there was uh, Bobo Shaw in uh -huh. St. Louis and yeah. Philip Wilson, yeah. who was another one of those cats who could turn around and play with a blues band and then turn around and play with the art ensemble. Yes, yes. Um, uh, out in California was, was uh, Oliver J uh, Johnson. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. Uh, who was hooked up at that time with Raphael Garrett, who right. came out of Chicago and went out to California. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Um, so I knew, you know, the, the Callow Scott. You hit the Callow Scott, the cello player. He used from to be from New York. He used to be a he used to be a saxophone player. Something happened to his arm for sure. Uh -huh. He started to play free cello, standing up with a cello on a saxophone strap. Like that. Kelo Scott. Look him up, man. I'll, I'll check that out. Check this dude out. Check this dude out. Wow. Sam uh, Ray Draper. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, okay. uh, yeah, yeah. And miscellaneous cats. Yeah, but no, no, I'm glad, you, I'm glad you're saying this because, you see, a lot of people don't, a lot of people really, um, they just think about naming people, and that's it. That's, that's as far as it goes. They don't realize how many hundreds of people, how many, how many hundreds of people there are that have made contributions to this music. A saxophone player, you never heard of him, I'm sure. Bill Carducci. No. He came out of Carla Blaze Band, man. He was know. bad, man, in the 1960s. He's getting it. Carducci. Yeah, Bill Carducci. So, so based on based on this deep knowledge and all these people that you know, what do you think is the like? What do you think is our contribution that we've made? to this music since um, oh, Cecil, Ornette, um, uh, you know, Train, Jackie McClendon. Incredible. Well, all right, yeah, please. You take a look at all the young cats today. After the Wynton Marsalis Young Lion period, right? People like Nasheed Waits and that generation of cats, they all played uh, inside and outside equally well, and the outside is great, man. So it's part of the vocabulary now. What we did in the 60s has now become part of the, cap the vocabulary. Even though the mainstream cats are still more mainstream, but they use some out shit in their music too. And that's because it's now accepted because we went through the changes to make it accepted. Beautiful. Beautiful. 
That's what I wanted you to say. Shit. That's what I wanted you to say. Because that's what should be acknowledged. You see where I'm coming from with this? Yeah, I mean, you know, because, because it's, it's easy. If it wasn't just for Grants, Cecil would have been starving. Sam River would have been starving. All these people wouldn't have had shit if it wasn't for Grants. Okay. Until you later. Monetary resources. Yeah, such until, such such well, that's, you know, they called it free music, but we wanted to get paid to play. I got you. You know, and all these cats, if it wasn't for their grant, until later on, when they became accepted as not mainstream, but part of the scene. Right. You know, Cecil and, I mean, you know, Cecil could, wants to work the vanguard, he can. Right. You know, the same, you know. But I'm talking about everybody since that, I'm talking about after that period, after that period. And, and I think that you really, you really said something that it should be noted, should be noted by these people that talk about the history of jazz and all this stuff. I think it, it, what you're saying is so, uh, so profound, you know, about our, um, our contribution and how that contribution has expanded to now. That people feel good about inside and outside. Not only that, but yeah. now as far as the outside is concerned, yeah, there's a whole circuit. That you, I mean, there are gigs. There were no gigs back in the 60s. We had to create our own. That's why lofts came into being. There was no place to play. You rented a loft to live in, and then you had people come over. I mean, and then Europe heard about it and started to call it loft jazz and brought us over. And so that's part of how the reputation of the music grew. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but when, the first time I went to Europe with Paul Blay, and at that period he was playing very free, uh, an album called Blood, like very open. I borrowed Han Benning's drums, okay. who wasn't playing free at the time. He was playing with Eric Dolphins sure. and, and Sonny Rollins and Wes Montgomery and all right. those cats. Right. So uh, the only one of the only European cats that was playing free in the '60s like that was Bratzman and Peter Kofold. They both lived in this town called Wuppertal, and uh, they were. Playing that way. Yeah, they were playing that way. Let me let me just flip this thing over a little bit. John Bench. My still my great buddy. Living in Paris, great drummer man. Uh, just kicked the shit out of cancer. And Wow, wow, uh-huh. And uh beautiful. What was what what's his what's what's his how does he approach the drum set? Um, your he approaches the drum set the same kind of way I approach the drum set, coming up through the tradition of being influenced by people like Philly Joe Jones, Max Roach, uh, Roy Haynes, Elvin Jones, Tony Wood. He's the same thing, and then he put that together in his own head to go another direction. I see. So he's uh, he's another one of those very fluid, uh, from ragtime to no time players, which is an expression that I use a lot that I got from Beaver Harris. Of course. Thank you for tuning in. In months ahead, you will have the opportunity to hear from many more Lost Generation artists and supporters. The audio-only version is available wherever you get your podcast. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to hear upcoming episodes.